Welcome to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge, the fiercely nonpartisan discussion that seeks policy solutions to issues of the day. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. Welcome to the Common Bridge. This is the fiercely nonpartisan podcast and YouTube channel where we talk about the issues of the day and the potential policy responses to them. Today, we have a great guest returning. We hope that you'll register for podcasts on your favorite site or sign up on YouTube and, of course, register free at richardhelpy.com. For those of you that remember episode 80, we had Dr. James Baker from the University of Michigan, Michigan Medicine, holder of over 50 patents, one of the foremost experts in the field of immunology and in vaccination. His predictions were amazingly accurate with what he told us back in December. I highly recommend his blog called Pandemic Pondering. And today, uh, Dr. Baker's agreed to spend a few minutes with us on a quick update. So, Dr. Baker, welcome to the Common Bridge. So glad to have you back. Thank you, Richard. Dr. Baker, what do we know today about the emerging data on the vaccine effectiveness? Well, all the data is good. I mean, it's almost remarkable that we've had such a consistent and and remarkably positive result. The vaccines are effective. They're effective in preventing infection, and they're effective in preventing illness if you get infected. So you probably heard that even though they're 95% infective, there have been cases of people like Bill Maher who've gotten infected after they get the vaccine, but they don't even know that they are infected. And the amount of virus they have is so low that they don't infect other people. So this is why we're seeing the pandemic end. If we can get up to 70% of the population uh, immunized, it doesn't give the virus any place to go. You know, people, as Dr. Fauci has said, are now a dead end. So I think if we could do that, not just in the U.S., but worldwide, we could really put the nail in this one. That would be a welcome relief. Any new insights regarding risks or side effects? You know, there's always people that get a hold of something. Mm -hmm. I've heard something, I probably won't pronounce this correctly, a cytokine storm. And then I've heard craziest things. You maybe heard something crazy like, oh, it, it put a magnet in your body. It's like, it just to me, that can't happen. And I know there is some kind of reporting on adverse reactions. Do we know anything there, anything emerging? And granted, it may take years for this to come out, but what about the risk profile? Any good news, bad news, unusual news? The unusual news is that the RNA vaccines, the one from Moderna and the one from Pfizer, BioNTech, are remarkably safe. You know, we now have done hundreds of millions of people with these vaccines, and the adverse reaction rates are almost minimal. There are some fevers that are associated with this. You might get a, a sore arm, but quite honestly, that's simply a sign that you're making an immune response. And those things don't last more than a day and have caused no disability. From those vaccines, we have not seen any type of adverse event that has put anyone's life at risk or caused their death. So, I mean, that, that's truly remarkable. And, and the fact that we saw safety and efficacy in the large 
number of people we've now done that have reflected the clinical trials is very reassuring. Now, the other vaccines, the ones that are based on adenovirus, which uh, are the Russian vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and the Johnson Johnson vaccine, are also fairly safe. They don't appear to be quite as effective. Uh, the Johnson Johnson obviously is a single-dose vaccine and gets you about 70% protection against infection. But importantly, they're very good at protecting you from getting ill or winding up in the hospital or dying from this. So they're very good with that. There has been one very rare issue that's come up, and that's an autoimmune reaction, particularly in younger women who've gotten these vaccines, more so with the AstraZeneca vaccine than the Johnson Johnson vaccine, but it causes an aggregation of their platelets. Their platelets clump, and that can cause mm -hmm. blood clots, and there have been uh, a very rare number of deaths from that. But with the RNA vaccines, nothing. It's really remarkable and really good news. That is. And when we spoke back in December, you talked about the polio vaccines and how it gave children a chance. And I heard Dr. Fauci recently with a plan basically by the end of this year to vaccinate babies that are as young as six months. And again, not a scientist. Is there a like a child dose or because of this RNA creating a protein? Does everybody get the same vaccine, or is there a is there a difference between a you know young adult versus a adolescent versus a, an infant? Well, I think right now, uh, and the approval is going down to age twelve. Everyone's going to get the same dose, and my guess is even in older children they'll get the same dose because our immune systems react to this as a threshold. Uh, we give a dose that, that is adequate to get an immune response. And to, to give you some idea of this, the Moderna vaccine is three times the amount of material in the Pfizer vaccine, but they both work equally as well. It may be for younger children, uh, we give a lower dose, but in fact, for other vaccines, we haven't seen that. To give you some idea, the hepatitis B vaccine that we give to newborns we give them roughly the same dose that we give to adults. So in fact, uh, you know, it's not likely that we have to adjust the dose so much. But the wonderful thing is that when they did the trial in the 12 to 16-year-olds, they had even better results than the adults. They were 100% protected. So in fact, you know, they have younger and healthier immune systems than adults. So that's probably why they had the better mm -hmm. response. But so far, no side effects and 100% protection with the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, it seemed that the change in the guidelines uh, from the CDC came rather abruptly. Some states seemed a little surprised. And I'm wondering what happened that made the this call so abrupt? And, and maybe as a dual question, what about the people that are still vaccine hesitant? Do they have anything to be worried about? Or should they say, well, all of the other people getting vaccinated is going to give herd immunity, so I don't need to worry. I know there's a lot of questions wrapped up in that, but it just came so quick that it made me wonder what happened. Well, first off, I think the science finally caught up with the CDC. <laughs> We've, I've been a little bit discouraged about the fact that the CDC has been 
making statements that were at best confusing and and quite honestly, in in some cases, wrong. The last update they came up with had these pictures of different masks that were colored red, yellow, and green like a stoplight, but it wasn't good to go with green or caution with yellow. It was just all over the map. It was so confusing, no one knew what to do. And several things have come across. Number one, this is a disease that's very hard to transmit outside. The air is moving. It's disrupting the aerosols that, that transmit this. So, so if you're outside, even if you aren't immunized, the likelihood of you getting infected from someone else is very low. The other thing is that, that inside, unless you have a density where, where there are highly infected people it, it turns out that only a few people generate the amounts of virus in their respirations that create these basically aerosols that somebody else can get infected with. And if you happen to have someone like that in a tightly you know, contained space like an airplane or even in, in a room or a restaurant, that's why this is so problematic. But I think what's happened now is the CDC has recognized that the, the risk of this have dropped to the point where wearing a mask probably doesn't matter for most people. And that's for sure for the vaccinated people. So what's happening is we're going from a situation where the, the risk profile is on everyone to a point where the risk profile is simply on the people who have an unwillingness to be vaccinated or have some type of immune problem where they can't make an immune response to the vaccine. So an unvaccinated person that becomes infected is a risk to other unvaccinated people if they're one of the people that generate sufficient amount of the virus in the aerosols of their breath. Right. Would a mask stop that person from transmitting the virus? The vaccinated people can't get infected and can't get sick. And if they, the, the rare cases they do get infected, they don't generate enough virus to infect anyone else. So they're no longer at risk and they can't put anybody else at risk. So the burden is now being removed from vaccinated people. They can go about you know, their normal lives. The real key is for the unvaccinated people. If you're going to be unvaccinated, then you are a risk for yourself and a risk for others. So the burden is going to be put on the unvaccinated people. You better wear a mask and you better make sure it's an N95 mask because while a regular mask will keep you from infecting other people by knocking down you know, your aerosols, it won't protect you from getting infected. So if you have another unvaccinated person around you that's producing aerosols, you can get infected from that. So if you really want to be protected, you have to get an N95 mask, you have to be fitted, and you have to wear it consistently anytime you're inside in a group situation. That is much better clarity than we're getting from the CDC. Now, now looking ahead, the risks is how might people prepare? And I know there's been talk about, well, maybe this comes back again seasonally or it mutates and I mean, can anybody know at this point, are we expecting more COVID to come back at another point in time? Or is this something that we, as a nation and perhaps as the world, have put away for good? Well, no one knows for sure. 
And um, quite honestly, I think that it'll be probably six or 12 months before we really know what's going to happen. And we need to continue to immunize the entire world. Because as we've seen with COVID, you know, airplanes carry viruses along with, with passengers. And if you're if you've got some place in the world that's generating new viruses, they'll be around the world quickly. That's that's something we've documented for sure. Yeah, China really was uh, a lot of the Asian countries were very strict on their uh, approach. And I just heard today that the Philippines, you know, you're, you're required to go to a, a government site. We talked about the social impact here. India seems to be in dire straits at this point. And they must they must have picked up some kind of the variant uh, or i don't know why the why it would lag getting to india especially given the proximity to china well i think quite honestly they were fortunate early on and uh many of the people that would potentially become infected just weren't exposed but once it became endemic in their population given the density and the lack of vaccine i mean 2% of the indian population is vaccinated right now you know, it's just a tabla rasa. You know, they immediately became infected and it's explosive. And the, the other thing that's really bothersome is I don't think anybody has a good handle on what exactly is going on in India. We know that there are lots of infections. We know that there's lots of spreading. There have been concerns about variants, but here's the good news. The current vaccines, the current RNA vaccines work against all the variants that have been identified, even the ones in India and South Africa. So in fact, we're good to go with these things. Now that doesn't mean in the future, there might not be something that comes out that would cause, you know, concern, require sort of a booster shot. But right now, if we just get vaccinated, we'll be protected. And if we can get in and vaccinate all the people in these countries, it will stop uh, transmission, and that will stop the formation of variants that could potentially get around the vaccine. So, you know, if we can just get in there, get everybody vaccinated, we're in good shape. You know, it may be that three or five years down the line, people are going to need boosters or there'll be some type of difference. But the wonderful thing about these RNA vaccines you give them four to six weeks, and they now have a new vaccine for you that will cover the variant. They just change the sequence of the RNA, and we have the safety data already. They don't have to go through all those trials again. So in fact, the, the wonderful thing about what's happened is it set us up to deal with any viral disease pandemic in the future, because we now have a way to very quickly make a vaccine that can protect against it. Last question before we, we wrap up, and you've been, again, very generous with your time. People that have had COVID, cleared the virus, antibody tests, or, or perhaps they know they have antibodies, recommendations for them going forward. Presume that they have not been vaccinated at this point, but they had a confirmed case, let's say a symptomatic case, what do we know today about their protection against a second infection, and what would the recommendation be for them? So there's good news on this front as well. First off, if you get infected, almost everyone, if you have a normal immune system, 
develop protective immunity. And there are now studies that show for at least three to six months, you're totally protected against another infection. So the idea that, that people, normal people might become reinfected quickly doesn't exist. The other piece of good news is that we actually have tests that can differentiate from the immunity produced by the vaccine versus the immunity from an infection. So in fact, if you don't know if you have immunity, you can go in and get a test for something that's called nucleocapsid protein, which isn't in the vaccine, but is in the virus and know whether or not you were actually infected. So we can tell that too. And for people who had an actual infection, what we're recommending now is basically they get one dose of vaccine as a booster. So in fact, you know, you're protected for, let's say, three to six months with the infection. If you then get the booster within three months of being infected or whenever, it protects you long term, just like if you got two shots of the vaccine. So in fact, we have a way forward now for people that are naive and weren't infected. We have a way forward now for people that got infected. And in both manners, using the vaccine will be able to protect people long-term. And you know, it, it's, it's almost the reverse of what I expected. I expected that we'd have effective drugs, and that's what we go to. Because the one thing about social distancing, it's a bridge. It's a bridge to something else. You can't keep people locked up forever. And you saw in Michigan, when they reduced the social distancing requirements in February, we had a huge increase in infection because we had nothing. We had not vaccinated people. But now, you know, because people are vaccinated, when we release those social restrictions, we have a bridge to the vaccine and the vaccine will protect them. So going forward, I think we're going to be in very good shape. It may require, as I said, in a few years, three to five years, you know, you require a booster shot. But if we get everybody vaccinated, this will be in the rearview mirror. Life will go back to normal. And I think that's a, a terrific message for people to hear. It is. And, and I was curious because Ohio, Indiana had much better results than Michigan and they didn't have as extreme shutdowns of the society. And could that be that there were more people that got the natural infection on the wave and Michigan kind of missed that? And then when Michigan lifted it, we just had way too many unprotected people because the vaccine hadn't arrived yet? I, I think that's true. Um, you know, certainly um, there was sort of a dribbling of infections in those states, uh, you know, ongoing the whole time. So a lot of susceptible people got infected uh, slowly over time, and that build up, built up herd immunity. The other thing I have to say, you know, Ohio was much more egalitarian in handing out vaccines. Uh, Michigan really was very closed, especially early on, about who got the vaccine. In fact, my spouse went down to Toledo to get her vaccine because we couldn't get her. She's only 63 years old couldn't get a vaccine in Michigan. So uh, I think the entire Michigan population was naive to the virus. And once they were released, you know, just human nature, they wanted to get out and do things. And, you know, that resulted in a large bolus of infection. So if we, you know, I, I've done a, actually a blog about this, but if we had waited only six weeks more, 
then uh, we'd have enough vaccination in the state that we probably would have missed this whole you know outbreak that we had after February. So, so let me make sure I understand this. So Michigan got more strict while the the cases in say Ohio and Indiana were dribbling in. So you're building up more herd immunity in those places. Michigan didn't get the benefit of that. Michigan says, okay, let's loosen the restrictions on social distancing. But they did that too early because not enough people have been vaccinated and so missed the opportunity for the natural infection, missed the opportunity for the vaccine and had a far worse outcome. Am I am I getting that right? Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say far worse because it's a trade-off, you know, uh, over time. You know, Michigan did a remarkable job of protecting their population until February 15th, you know. But the, the perverse thing about that was the population was totally naive. And, you know, we had we had probably the best compliance with social distancing of any state. People weren't traveling. I mean, you know, they had these markers showing that automobile travel in Michigan actually was almost zero. You couldn't even go to your vacation home in state. So, I mean, we really locked people down. And, you know, if we had been able to get even 50% of the population with one dose of vaccine, um, it would have been fine. But without that, you know, basically they were at risk. And unfortunately, we had that episode after the mid-February, the March bolus, that really was pretty awful. Um, You could say over time, well, there probably weren't any more people that had been infected naturally in Ohio or these other states. Um, That may be true overall. The problem was that they were all concentrated in about six weeks. So um, I think we've learned a lot from how you handle these pandemics. I think, I think unless you have something to get people to, like more effective drug therapy, uh, which actually did not really happen. I, we had steroids, but not much else, or a vaccine. And, and the wonderful thing was we had the vaccine, and that's really what's allowed us to move on. Great testimony to our big pharmas. Well, and and allowing people who know how to develop vaccines and conduct clinical trials to do them. You know, if we had tried to get, you know, the the companies that had the biggest problems with their clinical trials, like AstraZeneca, had not developed vaccines before. So, in fact, there is an expertise there in both manufacturing and in uh, clinical trial organization that favored the companies that had done it previously. And, uh, you know, the federal government did help. I mean, Moderna was remarkably supported by the federal government over a long period of time. And they provided a lot of the expertise that Moderna used for their vaccines. But it's important to allow people who know what they're doing and have experience to take this forward. And that's why they were so successful. And that's why we still don't have the AstraZeneca vaccine approved in the U.S. I was just reading about that uh, this morning. Dr. Baker, you have been incredibly generous with your time during a very uh, busy time. Is there any final remark or comment you'd like to share with the listeners and viewers of The Common Bridge? Well, I want to express my appreciation for um, you know everyone who's been involved in this. This has been an incredibly difficult time period. For the most part, people have handled it with um, grace 
Uh, you know, they there have been problems, obviously. There's been some social unrest. But, you know, people should be proud of the way they handled this and, and the fact that we'll be able to move forward this summer and have a real summer because of what they're doing and getting the vaccine and doing all the right things for the past year. Um, people should be congratulated. I think that's a great note to end on. We've been speaking today with Dr. James Baker of Michigan Medicine, also the author of Pandemic Pondering blog. I highly recommend that. Please subscribe to and rate The Common Bridge on your favorite podcast channel, Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and elsewhere. Also on YouTube TV, all under Richard Helpy's Common Bridge. And of course, register for free at richardhelpy.com. Again, we're with Dr. Jim Baker. This is Rich Helpy signing off on The Common Bridge. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.